0: Want to raise strong girls? You know who's strong? Jesus Christ. We want to raise brave girls. You know who's brave? Jesus Christ. Like every attribute that we want our daughters to have is found in the one who who gives them life.
1: Hello and welcome to God Is Dad Podcast, the show where three couples get together, talk about how God parents us, and then try to parent our kids the same way. Today on the show, we are talking about specifically how to parent girls. And so for that, I thought we'd bring in some special guests, Mandy and Ashley from the Women of the Church podcast, a show where they feature women throughout church history that have made a difference, made an impact, and done some great work for God. They've got really cool hearts, and they've got a lot of knowledge about stuff that not many people do. So I think you'll enjoy hearing from them. Go ahead and give their show a listen. Uh, It's really good stuff. Let's get to it. recording yep there you go yeah, sure you
0: funny. oh and when you <laughs> type it said that you were like typing in medicine's message it drops dad so it just says God yeah
1: God. right I know God. I saw that and I kind of liked it <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know we were both yeah. joking about the fact like we've never talked to God over skype before this
1: right be interesting exactly yeah. yeah it does that on my email sometimes too and I uh yeah I just kind of I, I thought it might be it sounded a little um what's the word irreverent but then I, I just kind of like that I figured God thinks so. Yeah, exactly. So Ashley, Mandy, uh, can you take a quick minute to, to kind of describe the premise of your show and sort of just your heart behind it? And I guess specifically why you think history is so important, because I'm not sure it's a subject that a lot of people are thinking, oh, yeah, I really need to learn a lot more about history. So I'd like to hear why you think it's such a big deal for people to listen to and to kind of become more educated about.
2: Yeah, I think because history as a subject matter, I think the reason why Both men and women, honestly, are intimidated by it is because it's difficult to to work through ideas of the past Mm -hmm. and events of the past. And and I think a lot of people are under the miss, honestly, the false view that they need to have a Ph.D. to to study history. And that's just not the case. And I think what we're trying to do in the through this podcast, Women of the Church, is tell these stories in a way that is educational. It's rooted, of course, in biblical truth because we're telling the stories of Christian women and how they live their lives out to honor God. Mm-hmm. But also in a way that they walk away feeling like they know it because it's been done in a way that's
0: useful right. and helpful yeah. and
2: interesting. Mm-hmm. I think we when we tell history, it needs to be interesting.
0: It does need to be interesting. Yeah. I've been in college classes where it was not interesting. And I'm like, why did I sign <laughs> up for this night class? This was such a bad idea. So yeah. um, making it interesting is fine.
1: Well, I'm not even sure how that's even possible to, you know... It, it's a little bit crazy to me that history could not be interesting. Obviously, it, sometimes, I mean, oftentimes it gets made not that way. But, you know, you're just only, you're picking from the best stories and you have the entire human history to choose from. And somehow, I mean, how could you take the best stories and make them not interesting? That's you
2: bizarre to me. Surprised. Well, this has, <laughs> I think it's because in Christian biography, specifically, it's oftentimes done through a lot of moralizing, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like we kind of make these women or men for that matter perfect, right? We're like, well, you know, he woke up. And of dawn every morning to yeah say that's his not
0: funny yeah yeah <laughs> or interesting in any way well a you know pious life is a snooze fest sometimes. well and these people were pious but i think it's something we forget that they were human beings yeah. and that's why yeah. i love this podcast because we are we are choosing from the best stories in history but they're ones that people don't know mm-hmm. because yeah. throughout history the focus especially in church history has been on men has been on men and women as you always say women always play the role of mother or missionary or martyr yeah um and so that's always the role that kind of fit in and we're talking about women who don't really fit in any of those roles and we're also talking about women whose entire identity is not based on what her husband does and so which mm-hmm. i really like like and so it's i i love this podcast because we we really as women i think we have an insight to the stories of women and and i was just telling ashley before we got on that what i love about I love about talking about women and women of the church and and history is that while their circumstances were different, while their persecutions were different, while their constraints were different, they still had some of the same desires, goals, and were still created in God's image three hundred years ago. and we can really have some insight into what they were experiencing, what they were feeling, what they um, what they went through just because we share that human experience.
2: But we're trying to tell their stories with always the focus that, yes, they were mothers. Yes, they were wives Mm -hmm. um, and so forth. But they also were children of God. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at through that lens of that, these women are image bearers who were called by God to do a distinct work in this life. It really does take the focus off of really just like who they were in relation to another person, but ultimately what they were doing and who they are called to do what they're called to do by God.
1: So what, uh, I mean, do you have like a best, I mean, I, I just kind of want to, you know, give you the chance to sort of do like a mini, basically a mini profile on, on one of the, some of these interesting, or at least one of these interesting women, like, you know, give me your, your greatest hit or whatever, <laughs> basically. on like uh, I'm
0: like, you know,
1: who, who's the woman? That, yeah. Yeah.
0: Because I think in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about Jane Austen. I do not think she's going to be a greatest hit, but sure. I think we should tell the story of Katarina von Boren.
2: Yeah. So she actually came from nobility. And she was left at a convent by her father at the tender age of five. This was a very common practice in the nobility of the period, because if you didn't have enough money to raise all your children, provide them a dowry, in the case of a girl, this is what oftentimes noble men and women did with their children. Mm. So she spends the next 20 years growing up a nunnery and actually ultimately becomes a nun herself. In some point, and we don't know how, she gets a hold of Martin Luther's writings. And for a woman of the period, which is a rarity, she can read and write. Right. And so she reads his writings and she's so moved by what he is speaking and preaching, right? That she, along with some other nuns, (laughs) escapes in a wagon. And now there's a little bit of disparity about whether or not she was actually hiding in the fish barrels. Or or hiding like amongst them. Yeah. But she's literally, you know, wagoned away to, you know, freedom from the convent,
0: (laughs) if you want to call that. So these women catch the idea of Martin Luther. They, these nuns who have... Taken vows to God, hide themselves in fish barrels. And a student actually wrote my favorite quote, a wagon load of vestal virgins had come to town, all more <laughs> eager for marriage than for life. God grant them husbands lest worst befall. I love that. Ooh, uh, my favorite quote, yeah. like may this work out for them or else we just have a bunch of nuns on our hands not sure what to do with Yeah, them these vestal right. virgins, right? And so what happens is Katerina though,
2: has a hard time finding a husband. Yeah. A couple suitors don't work out. And at one point she turns to Martin Luther and says, you better marry me. Now she phrased it probably much more eloquently than I that. picture
0: her saying it. You had better marry me. Yeah. I've been through a lot. Yeah. Here.
2: Yeah. And he doesn't exactly, there's actually a film with Martin Luther. Um, I think Joseph Fiennes stars as Martin Luther. Not the best casting job because he doesn't
0: look like him, but it, it, the film, they make it like Martin without, Luther, not great looking. Yeah, so yeah. Put that out yeah, there. yeah.
2: So it's all this being said in the film, they make it out to be this huge romance. Like he was in love with her when he proposed and, you know, it's this match of no, lo- no, love no, match. No. But no, sure, sure. An, an actual historical record is that, no, he very reluctantly chooses to marry. He does it out of duty, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, of course, is so against all our modern notions of what courtship and marriage should look like. Right. Right. Yes. And so he marries her out of duty. But. What's interesting is what flourishes out of that duty is a love match. Mm -hmm. They end up actually genuinely coming to love and respect one another. Mm -hmm. He writes of her um, very in loving, endearing terms. And she to him, they end up having six children. Mm -hmm. So clearly something was there. They got along. They got along. He actually called her. The Morning Star of Mm Wittenberg, which is um, because she would get up at, I think it was like 4 a.m. to take care of various responsibilities. He also
0: called her My Lord Katie, which I find like a very, you know, obviously. Mm -hmm. A a slight slide to the fact that Katie was not your, not a very um, soft-spoken, non-opinionated woman.
2: She was more, she definitely had more of an independent streak. Mm -hmm. And I think she, but she also, and because I think she was a, a more of a rarity in the period because she was, um, she could read him, write. She was, I think in many ways, a good intellectual match for him.
0: Yeah. And she, so, I mean, they, they had six children. He in mean, his writings really indicates that he loves her, but it does not mean that their marriage was like all roses. My favorite quote from Luther is if I can endure conflict with the devil, sin and a bad conscience, then I can put up with the irritations of Katie von Bora.
2: So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely he had to learn because he was kind of a sudden his ways bachelor. There,
0: he's an older guy. Yeah, yeah. And he
2: had to learn. I mean, and that's really what marriage is, right? Like you are dying to yourself mm-hmm. to love your spouse. And he had to learn that. I mean, he this is a man who'd been preaching on the value and importance of marriage in yeah. Christian community. Mm-hmm. And he was having to actually not only speak about it, he was having to walk the walk. And I think it was in many ways sanctifying, as marriage should be, is sanctifying. Yes. Ultimately, though, Martin Luther does die. He'd not been in good health for years. He, you know, it, it was it was honestly amazing. It was honestly the Lord's grace that he lived as long as he did, that he was not killed as a martyr or right. poor health sooner. Mm-hmm. And so, Katerina is left a relatively young widow, without financial means, and a lot of ways to support herself. And then at one point, because this is European. You know, Reformation, Europe, war breaks out, right? Mm-hmm. Because her plague, right? That's always what happens in, in these war. stories, right? War mm-hmm. or plague, their <laughs> home, which is actually a- The Black Cloyce. Black cloister, yeah, it used to be a monastery, yeah. is, is destroyed. And so she chooses to stay in Wittenberg until 1552. Mm-hmm. And then there's another plague. So she and her, I think her youngest two children at this point who are teenagers, they flee Mm -hmm. and they're traveling to another city. And at some point in those travels, she is thrown from the cart into a watery ditch. The children, albeit they were teenagers, couldn't really get her out of the ditch. She was probably lying there for a while. They're trying to get help. And so she eventually was in, basically went into a coma maybe, or just was unconscious in and out for three months until she eventually dies. Mm -hmm. And I have read that on her deathbed, she said, I will stick to Christ as a burr to the cloth. Mm -hmm. And so what I love about her story is that from a 21st century perspective, I look at Katie's life, she lost two children, I think one in infancy and one as a teenager. And so, man, I look at her life and it just really puts a lot of my 21st century first world problems, right? You know, we had this hashtag first world problems and that really, man, it puts it so much in perspective. I mean, just looking at her life and what she suffered and how she remained faithful in the midst of that, losing her husband, losing two children, losing Mm -hmm. her livelihood, losing her home. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, she's just Mm. an incredible servant of Christ. And I think we should all know the story of Katie Von Bora.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good, that's a good hit for sure. Uh, Yeah. I'm curious. I didn't, I didn't really even know that Jane Austen was a, would be considered a woman of the church. So I'm I'm excited for that episode. That should be a fun one.
0: Yeah. So she, uh, I think you were Jesus. starting to touch on it. But did you actually say what we're talking about this semester? Or the, I call it mm-hmm. semester because that's how I live my life. Um, <laughs> but what we're talking about in the this fall and going into the spring is we're actually discussing yeah. the um, the women really of the abolitionist movement of England. And so Jane Austen fits into that category as an abolitionist. And so that's kind of the scope and sequence of what we're, what we're talking about this year. And so all those women, all the women that we're talking about are women of the church. They knew Jesus. They um, were devout in their faith. And also, they were abolitionists for the, the complete emancipation mm. of slaves.
2: Yeah, because I think, as far as I know, there's not really anyone has told the stories of the 10 women we're looking at this season and, and really examining how their faith was integral into their desire to campaign against slavery in the West Indies, right? The conditions of what the slaves were enduring in the plantations there um was absolutely horrendous with the amount of slaves who obviously were killed just in the mere transportation from Africa to the West Indies was horrific mm-hmm. and so these women were not just they were compelled to do this because they were living out what Christ has called all of us to do to love our neighbor as ourselves mm-hmm. and so these evangelicals many of them were evangelicals were coming out in a time where it wasn't popular to speak out against this issue they're coming yep. out at a time where they knew it might even impact their livelihood it might impact their view or their status in society. And so I think Mm. to, you know, remember that they were doing it because they felt called by Christ to, you know, Mm. by God to do these things. And so I think it's something that, you know, it's encouraging for us today to see these women live out their faith in such an open way um, not just in their in their homes. I mean, really, in many ways, kind of social activism, social justice is happening in the home, right? They're teaching. We have actually one of the women we're talking about this season was a children's author, mm-hmm. writer, and she was known really for talking about the importance of education in the
0: home. And she's talking about abolition in the context of the home, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and we end every podcast by kind of bringing it. That bringing it back and making it applicable and asking, what did this woman of the church know to be true about God? So kind of going back to Katie Von Bora, I don't think we ever really decided, but I would say that Katie Von Bora knew that God was faithful. Yeah. Like in all of her circumstances where things could have gone terribly awry, she's hiding among the fish barrels. And yeah, she knew that mm-hmm. God had been faithful before and would be faithful again and is faithful forever. Right? Because yeah. when we
2: talk about, I think sometimes... Christian men and women of the past, we use this term heroes of the faith. Yeah. And while I don't think that's a bad phrase, I do think heroism or what we understand to be a hero gets caught up in all these like Marvel comic books right. and all these type of mm. things. We almost want them to have superpowers Well, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's, it's not that we're not supposed to fly. We're not supposed to do these things and fight off. You know, We are ultimately living our lives out um, as image bearers empowered yeah. by the Holy spirit to reflect the glory of God. And so I think it's something that, like I said, that term heroes, of the faith." I both love it. And I kind of hate it at the same time. Cause I think it just, it, for us in our modern context, it, it brings up this, we need to be perfect. We need to be superheroes, yep. mm-hmm. And that's just not what God calls us to do. God calls us to be faithful in the little and the small things.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's totally true. <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm, I'm interested in creating a, a, a a little super girl. Uh, so I, I have a daughter that's two or all, she's almost two, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I mean, I think the coolest thing, and I think the thing that probably a lot of people that listen to your show appreciate is basically, you know, the work that you're doing for women at, at large. And it, I think it's very empowering, right. To hear stories of people that are like you. And, you know, it's the same thing with like trying to get minorities in more movies and the whole black Panther phenomena is that, you know, it's really cool when unrepresented people get their story shared and can have people to look up to that are, that look like them, that act like them, that had lives like them. And so I'm curious, um, then, since it seems like you're both about empowering women and maybe even empowering little girls to live their fullest life, I guess, in, to who God made them to be. What do you think parents can do specifically to kind of stir up that or facilitate that kind of thing in their daughters?
0: So looking at these women, like I said, we always end each podcast with what did these women know to be true about God? And I think it is impossible to look at who God is, his characteristics, and not learn who you are because we were, we were created in his image. And so we learn who we are and who our identity is by finding it in Christ and by knowing more about Jesus and and his desire for the world and his love for people. And I think what I see, and it's the tale as old as time, there's nothing new under the sun. In um, girls, I know for my daughter, Evangeline, what I don't want her to look at herself how I look at her. I don't want her to look at herself as her friends look at her. I want her to look at herself through the eyes of Christ and that, and to, to see the, um, the image bearer that she is. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, when you know who you are, it affects what you do, how you interact with people, how you, how you live your life, what you go after. And I feel like in a world that's just desperately, desperately trying to figure out who they are yeah, looking everywhere else, please tell me like who I am friends tell me who I am social Mm -hmm. media to find to to approach the throne of grace and ask God like tell me who I am I think uh is a a pivotal changing time in in a girl's life and so Mm -hmm. raising Evangeline and I fall I fall very short um all the time but raising Evangeline I try very hard to remind her who God says she is like God says Mm -hmm. you're this and you're that and you're Um, And that he thinks, he thinks you are the most beautiful thing. He thinks that you are extremely smart. He thinks that you have, he knows that you have a purpose, you have a purpose Mm -hmm. and, and that your purpose may not look like anybody else's. Your desires may not look like anybody else's, but, but God has created you unique and special. And I think trying to remove the mirrors that the world puts up um, is such a hard job as a parent. It's a hard job as a woman, like just for Mm -hmm. myself. And so mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to get the mirrors out of our house for my <laughs> own little girl um, and and let her mirror be the word of God. Let her mirror be her time in prayer. Let her mirror be her relationship with Christ mm-hmm. um, so that she can really internalize um, who she is. Because I think so many coming from the classroom, I, I taught high school for four years. It would just break my heart to see literally a girl changed the way she looks and acts and behaves every other day, depending on what mirror she's looking in at, at that time. And, and I'm like, if you had, but you could always see those, those, those students, those kids who have that peace about them because they are not unsure mm-hmm. of who they are. They have, they have that peace of Christ. They have that, that sound footing that comes with knowing their identity in Jesus. So mm-hmm. I think that really is the pivotal thing for me is to raise the next generation of women, and I know that the generations before me did the best they could while looking in the mirror themselves. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it, it, the, and yep. so I, I cannot raise—I hate to like, use this imagery too much—but I cannot raise Evie to find herself and who Christ has made her to be unless that is what I am doing because I'm speaking from not experience, you know? And so um, mm. really, getting, really finding your own identity in Christ is the best way to raise your children <laughs> to find their identity in Christ. Yeah. But I think that would be, I think that would be mine um, because with that, in, encompassing in that is so many other things. So if we want to raise strong girls, you know who's strong? Jesus Christ. If we want to raise brave girls, you know who's brave? Jesus Christ. Like every attribute that we want our daughters to have yeah. is found in the one who who gives them life, and so yep. that's something that we just have to continually pointing back. And I like I'm gonna go back and harp on so hard in this age. And again, I told you straight out of the gate that I'm a pop culture guru. So it's not as if my husband and I live on a farm somewhere. It's you know like without without Netflix <laughs> or yeah. um, But I think it's I think it's really looking for those mirrors that you're, that your little girls, that your teenagers, that your young women. Are are inspecting themselves in and removing those from your house. Getting them mm. telling them that is a false image, that is a fake mirror, that is a fun house mirror that makes you look shorter and yeah. fatter than you actually are, that is not the true picture of who you are. That's only yeah. found in God. And so I think looking at those mirrors, getting them out of your house, getting them out of your life, and the ones that you can't remove because they're in the world. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that your children know that that's not true, that that's mm. not an accurate depiction of who you are and what you look like and what your purpose is, So.
2: And also, I think for little girls or for little boys, I mean, I think this conversation applies to both boys and girls in many ways, Mm -hmm. is that you want to place trusted, godly mentors in their lives from an early age that just aren't, you know, you and your spouse. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's important to have a lot of voices that are speaking to your little one who are pointing them to Jesus. Mm -hmm. They just they know that this isn't just what mommy and daddy believe, Mm -hmm. but that their community Beliefs, yes, that, and that's why I think it's so important to be. I mean, as much as I know where we are in many ways, like kind of a parachurch ministry, right? This podcast is a type of ministry, but both Mandy and I are rooted in our local churches mm-hmm. from an early age. You you immerse your little ones mm-hmm. into the rhythm of living out their faith in community and living out their faith in the world, and mm-hmm. you you model that, in the way you treat each other, the way that you model discipleship in your home, the way that you model sacrifice in your home, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. uh, Both of those pieces of advice I think are great. I think they also can both be be applied to boys and girls, like you already said. Uh, But I'm really curious. You know, I I think parents – you guys are more history buffs than I would. But I think that parents hundreds or, you know, millennia ago would have said – you know, the, both of those things were important in raising their kids, right? Christian parents would have said thousands of years, a thousand years ago, like, yeah, we need to make sure that our kids are around in a community of believers where they can be mentored. They would have said we need to point them to Jesus first for their identity, all that stuff. But, you know, there is a, there is a pattern for a long time in h- church history where women have not necessarily been empowered to, I, I guess, I guess I'm I'm assuming they haven't been empowered to live out the fullness of what they maybe were made to perhaps. I think we're seeing as, as, certain expectations and rules are changing that we're seeing women step into things that they haven't said didn't do before i mean maybe it's a church thing maybe it's a christian culture thing i'm not sure but if i'm trying to diagnose the problem and trying to make sure that my daughter has is as encouraged by me and as inspired to be who she was made to be as my sons are then i feel like it's important for me to look at where we were look at the historical you know uh context that that maybe didn't foster that in the past as much and then try to identify what what existed then that I want to make sure doesn't exist now does that make sense so my question is i you know what do you think there is or was or we're, were getting rid of that that has prevented women from from living out the w- the way that maybe god god wanted them to in the history of the church
2: man that is a, such a that's a very complicated question just from the standpoint that the way my expertise is in british church history right so i'm thinking <clears> in terms <throat> of the way that and honestly, that has played out the way women's roles have played out differently in different faith communities. So sure, we have yeah. to think about the fact that in um John Wesley and the early Methodist woman movement, excuse me, women were preachers. They taught mm. to mixed gender audiences in open fields just like George Woodfield and John Wesley did. That also mm. changed over time to where um, as Methodism became more of a kind of denomination, that um, mm. oftentimes there were Methodist splinter groups that broke out that weren't necessarily, um, they would continue, female preachers continue well through the 19th, of course, even 20th and 21st century. But that wasn't mm. something that was being done in the Methodist church anymore. And we also have to think about there's been movements like the Salvation Army absolutely that exist today where well, there were women preachers, um, General William Booth, his wife, he's called General William Booth because that was his formal title. He wasn't actually military. <laughs> but they were soldiers sure. for Christ, right? They kind of drew off of that oh, kind okay. of, you know, yep, yep. empire, British empire imagery. We we won't go into that conversation, but in any the event, so they, they <laughs> had that kind of military model. It's very common in the period. You know, you were soldiers for Christ. That was kind of the language a lot of British people used in the 19th century. So mm, okay. that all being said, he had his wife, um, was a reluctant preacher. We actually um one of our guests talked about her, her name was Catherine Booth, but God called her, she felt the Holy Spirit call her to preach in um in mixed gatherings of men and women. And so I think sometimes when we talk about like where we see sometimes in, in the church, right, in the Anglican church though, of course, there weren't female preachers, right? Mm. Women served as on committees, oftentimes they were, of course, um, Involved in local church activity. And I think in some ways that's why, and once again, I'm, I'm focusing very narrowly on British abolitionism, 18th, 19th century British church history. So I want to be sure, sure. very, very, yeah. I'm talking about my perspective here. I think that's <laughs> why abolition was um, something that a lot of women got involved in. It was something that they could use their giftings outside of the home. And mm, so they were, of course, preaching in apologies, not preaching, but they were, they ultimately were encouraging and educating their children in this. They also felt that there was a way that even though they weren't allowed to vote in the period, there was a way that they could be involved in the um, political campaign through influence, mm-hmm. right? Influence mm, through, yeah. through their husbands who were members of parliament. We have some women that was their case during this season. They were mm-hmm. also influential in not buying goods that came from the West Indian um, plantations. Yeah. Made by Sh- slaves. Yeah, made by slaves. Sugar mm. um, was the big one. And so I, I think when we we got to, you know, in some respects, I know it's easy to kind of paint with one like, you know, blanket statement. Women haven't served in leadership. But I also think we got to kind of redefine what we mean by leadership. Mm. Right. Like, I think sometimes when we talk about leadership, it's almost like this business model of, well, you know, certain people are gifted in these things and, you know, we want good teachers and so forth. And so it kind of becomes more focused on the people who are gifted in preaching and teaching. If women aren't allowed to be in those roles, they're not allowed to live out, you know, Christ fully mm-hmm. um or live out their calling fully. And I think that conversation more needs to be about discipleship. It needs mm-hmm. to be more about ultimately that as Christians, we are called to make disciples, whether that is in the home, in the public sphere, in our workplace, and that applies to both men and women. Mm-hmm. And so if we think about, once again, 18th, 19th century British church history, women have served in a variety of roles depending on their context. Right. And I don't think I'm just, I'm, this is once again, just my perspective, I could be wrong, but we could go back and ask many of these women and say, did you feel like God did not fully use you or you were not? I, I don't think many of them would feel that way because they fulfilled their calling to what they were called in the little and the big things. I feel like that might yeah, be like that. a bad answer, but I feel like it's, it is, it's, it's really complicated I don't think we can give like one answer to something like that. So.
1: Yeah I I appreciate that. I think it's a I think if you think that you can give the answer the answer to any question that I would ask that would be that would be you know <laughs> that's a little bit. Honestly, I think that's a big problem with with podcasts these days that everybody just assumes this posture of expert and then yeah. they think is if I have a mic then I get to talk and whatever I, I you know. They people just believe too much whatever they say I think. So, I appreciate you 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 know stepping back and saying History is big, and women's roles around uh, around wow. the world have been different everywhere. And I can't speak to everything, so I appreciate that. Uh, I think I would I would like to hear more of that on from more people that uh, do podcasting. A little more humility, I guess.
0: <laughs> right. I love saying I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not well, sure. I let Ashley mostly answer that question uh, because she just has a much better way of articulating it. But I guess I <laughs> like saying if if churches could recognize that women have other giftings outside of children or music, I think that'd be great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <That's the end. laughs> well, I mean, the the the, th- the thought that I had. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, the thought that I had was you mentioned that a lot of women st- gravitated towards abolitionism in, in that time period because it was an opportunity that was open to them. And I was like, well, that makes sense. You know, like if you are restricted in, in lots of other areas, then you just kind of naturally find your you, you have women have inertia. They have passions. They have, you know, these desires. inside and, desire, and they're like, just like, men, we want to make just as much of a difference in the world, help people just as much. We want to do big things for God. Just as much as men do. And so if there was a, that's interesting that there was an opportunity for them in that time period. And so then they did kind of gravitate towards abolitionists because there was opportunity.
0: (laughs) Who did we talk about literally last night? Don't, don't laugh at me. What was her name? Elizabeth Hyra. Thank you. Um, so Elizabeth Hyder, I think one of my favorite parts of her story is that she, she wrote something basically Mm -hmm. that ended up being read in parliament. But we're pretty sure that the men reading it didn't know that it was written by a woman or else sure, they probably yeah. wouldn't have read it. Uh, but I love how <laughs> she, like, snuck that in there. Um, and it's a really poignant statement, which I'm sure Ashley remembers, about abolitionists or abolitionists. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I love about talking about women at the time is they could not vote. They, they were limited in so many ways. They right. could not actually pen to paper affect change in the polling booth. So mm-hmm. they wrote, They used mm-hmm. their influence. I know uh, William Wilberforce was highly, was very influenced by Lady Margaret Middleton. Um, and he was his- the mm-hmm. political face of abolition. That's yeah. why I just mentioned If you've seen the movie Amazing mm-hmm. Grace, like, which mm-hmm. I have, like, literally I base so much of what Ashley talks about on this movie, which really... <sighs> I think, I think really <laughs> exemplifies my problem when it comes to history because I view everything through the. The through movie the lens got some of, things right, but a some, poor things, movie.
2: some things terribly wrong. I so. know, but it was a great
0: movie. It I was. It. It's a
2: great story. It's really, it's great. So, no. anyway,
0: so, um, but William Wilberforce was, was really influenced by a woman. And so it, I, I love, and I've said a couple of times whenever we're talking about podcasts that, like, women were not blinded by the fact that they had no say. Really, like they mm, really had yeah. very. So they had to be extremely intelligent, and in how they, how they influence those around them, because they reckon Like Lady Margaret Milton knew she was not about to walk into into Parliament and give a very moving speech. So what did she do? She hosted parties at her house where influential influential men would come, and she'd be like, "Let me tell you what I think." And blah blah blah. And you know what mm. men love to do? Oh wait, this could be harsh, but men love <laughs> to take things that women say and make it their own. <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so, sorry, no offense against William Moore, of course, I'm sure he's a lovely great. man. Um, but so, but they take in all this information and then they create this moving speech <laughs> for parliament that those words, those, those motives, those emotions actually came from a woman who was influencing. Mm. And I honestly yeah. don't think Lady Margaret Middleton would have minded whatsoever. That was her point. That yeah. was sure. her, her motive. So I yep. love that women throughout t- time have been like, what are my limitations? Okay. How do I work around those? Like, how do mm. I still get? what what i want or more importantly how do i still make an impact for the kingdom yeah but when i don't have the ability to walk into a polling booth and they did everything in their power to work around that
2: and just to like build off what mandy's saying mm. i think one thing that the church got right and not one thing they did many things right one of the things. things they got right in sure. the in the 18th <laughs> century evangelical movement that so these women knew their bibles oh, so yeah. they may not have been preaching from a pulpit but they were teaching sunday schools they were teaching um biblical literacy to the poor, to their own children, their houses. I mean, the women who wrote abolitionist tracts and pamphlets, mm-hmm. they were quoting literally verse by verse of scripture why slavery is antithetical to the gospel.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And so
2: I think what has we've lost, albeit I think there has been a movement to regain it, praise be to God, in the 21st century of rich biblical and theological training and teaching by women for women. Absolutely. And so I think what. As regardless of where you stand on gender roles, we should never, like one thing we should be united in encouraging is rich biblical and theological training and teaching in the local church.
0: So much of what's out there is how to be a better hostess, how yeah. to raise a godly family. And those things in and of themselves are not bad things. Not at all. <laughs> but they are limiting and topic specific. Whereas if we taught, and if there was more focus on biblical literacy, as a whole, those things are found in the word of God. Those, those tasks, those, those different skills can be found in the Bible, but we kind of just gloss over it. Honestly, sometimes dumb it down and really simplify it. And again, there's a place for that. I know like six 30 in the morning, I need it to be dumbed down a little bit. Um, But biblical literacy is, (laughs) is absolutely vital. And if that was being taught, then I don't think there'd be as much of a need for these topic women. Female-specific topics that we see. Mm,
1: Yeah, interesting. I like that. It's pretty cool. Well... Thank you for doing a podcast that brings light to what women have contributed throughout history. Uh, it's it's a shame that you have to make a podcast about that, uh, but I appreciate you doing the doing the work to do it. Uh, I think you guys make a good team. I can see uh, I can see why you you pair off well. That's pretty pretty cool. But yeah, I do. I like the I like the dynamic. <laughs> we just fist you know, bump
2: just in case your <laughs> listeners were wondering because they can't visually see that beautiful thing that just transpired. I was
0: going to do it low key.
2: But <laughs> yeah, I decided yep. just to make everyone understand that that's how we roll. Mandy yeah. and yeah, right, I just right.
0: bumping our way through podcasts. We have, a, <laughs> we have a great time. Ashley does all of the homework. I interrupt her. It, it, really, yep. it really is a beautiful friendship. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having us on your show. And I wanted to say, so I actually didn't say at the beginning of the podcast, but so I said I had one kid. That's kind of true. Um, not true as well. So I actually have an adopted son who's
1: 22
0: mm. now. Uh, we, uh, we became his legal guardians when he was 14, and I was 24 at the time. Mm. And so to say that I was making it up is a massive understatement. He's also profoundly deaf. Um, And there's a whole story there some other time. But he came to faith in Christ when he was 15. um, And we kind of walked out becoming a Christian and growing up. And I'm again, I'm a 24 year old raising a 14 year old. No idea how to do this. And I want to tell you that something that really, that I ask myself all the time that really brings your podcast into view. I did not know how to raise a teenager. Of especially mm. a teenage boy, especially a deaf teenage boy. So at every <laughs> wow. at every intersection, probably three or four times a day, I'd be like, "Okay, what would God do?" Literally, mm. I was like, yep. "How does God parent me in this situation?" Like, is yeah. this a is this an extending grace? Is this a, a letting him experience natural consequences? Is it like I, I would literally sit down and be like, in my spiritual mm. life, in my in my walk with the Lord, when I behave like this, what does God do? Like, how mm. does you know? And so asking, like, looking at God as a dad and looking at God at how he parents me, it's probably why my kiddo is still alive and doing yeah. pretty well. Um, and I didn't mention <laughs> him at the, at the beginning because he's 22 and married and lives in Houston and is doing amazing. And so I always, I, sometimes I only think about who's under my house, under my roof, because that's mm. where all my focus is right now. Uh, um, you know, keep the three-year-old life. Keep <laughs> it three-year-old <through your>
1: <laughs> life. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Ooh.
0: uh, but really looking at God as a parent, um, deeply affected not only my mm. relationship with jesus but the fact that he is a thriving you know god-loving great young man um mm. who is super That's independent encouragement. Yeah. and it's literally because i just i had i had no other resource than to no, there's no book on that on like how to raise a deaf 14 year old when you're only 24 and so all i had was to look at god and be like you're gonna have to tell me what to do because i mm. i don't know how to do this so thank you for making a podcast that really. Um, talks about and discusses the personality of God that is a dad to us, and that that really helps us in knowing how to parent our m- mortal children.
2: Yeah, I fist bumped you again, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> Two fine. fist bumps, one episode.
1: It. Wow, yeah. cool. Well, awesome. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Uh, keep keep doing what you're doing. It sounds pretty great. Thank you so much, Justin. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. See All you later. Right, have a good one. That's it for us. Once again, their show is called Women of the Church Podcast. If you haven't heard of it, go give it a follow. Listen to a couple of other episodes. They got really good stuff about lots of different women throughout church history. Once again, if you have not shared this podcast with a spouse or with a friend that's also a parent, we would highly recommend you do so. Like we said before, we are not a show that is looking to provide all the answers you could ever have for parenting. Mostly what we want to do is ask really interesting questions and then hopefully you continue answering those questions on your own, ideally through discussing these ideas with someone you know. We started hearing from quite a few people that really like that aspect of podcast listening. If in fact you do like it, then you could make our day by leaving a rating or a review on iTunes. If you don't have time for the review, then literally it takes five seconds to search for us on iTunes, click a five-star rating, and yeah, it makes us happy. It really does. Otherwise, we'll see you again next week. Until then, have a good one.
0: A wagon load of Vestal virgins had come (laughs) to town. She turns to Martin Luther and says, You better marry me. Like, Martin Luther, not great looking.